We love being here. And we keep on learning from your pastors every single time we get to spend some time with them. It's been great today. It was such a wonderful time. We visited a little bit over lunch, and lunch can be longer when you spend the time together with such wise men and women of God. And we learned a lot today. I'm excited about what God is going to do tonight and about what he will do in our church at home as we're going to take some of the things that they've been talking to us about and put them into practice. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father, tonight we pray that you come, that you come and that you help us, that you come Holy Spirit and move on us. We pray that it will be such a release of your glory among us tonight. We are hungry and we are thirsty for you. And what we want is to meet you tonight, to hear from you, to hear from what you have to speak into our lives. We are open to you. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help us both as we're going to share from your word tonight. And let the church of victory here be built up, be strengthened. Father, we depend upon you. We rely upon you. We can do nothing without you, Holy Spirit. So come and help me tonight, Holy Spirit, and speak life. And bring your words to life into our own lives for the glory of God. We pray that all of these meetings will bear fruit that will remain for the glory of our God and Savior. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I would like to open the word tonight in the book of Acts in chapter 16. I thank you again for all of your prayers. I'm doing so much better since I got here. So your prayers are powerful. And uh, the Lord wants to speak tonight something uh, about uh, our houses, our homes, our communities, and about uh, His awakening, our spirit. In the book of Acts, in chapter 16, I shared a little bit this morning, uh, the Victory School. We had such a good time. We love the young people of Victory School. Let's give them all a hand tonight. You guys are awesome. You're so hungry and so open to the Holy Spirit. It's a joy to meet you, to spend time with you. We love spending time with each and every single one of you. In Acts chapter 16, it tells, uh, the Bible tells us about the time when Paul met Timothy, a young man, uh, a disciple. He had a godly mother. He had a godly grandmother. And I believe this is a church that is a multi-generational church. There are some grandparents here. There are some parents here. And there are some young people in this place. And you have been blessed to grow up in families that know the Lord. And they've been praying for you from the time when you're in your mother's womb. And they've been prophesying over you from the time when you're in your mother's womb. And this is so beautiful to see a multi-generational church. And it's not just old people. It's not just young people. It's all of us together in the kingdom of God, in the church of God, working to see this town being changed for the glory of God. Amen. And as they met together, God was going to release Timothy into his own destiny. Timothy, Timothy's life and ministry was going to go to another level. And God will bring into your lives people by divine appointment, by divine connection, that will help you go to another level in your life and in your ministry. You'll learn so much from them, and then you'll be the one that will teach others. This is how it works. It always works like that. And then Paul is trying to make up his mind where he's going to go next. And he comes up with different ideas, such as we all do. He was a man of great passion. He wanted to go everywhere and preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit stopped him from going to some places. Now, it's not because those places were bad, or because those people were evil, or because God didn't want to save them. But there was another place where the Holy Spirit was going to send Paul. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead us in every single decision that we make. He will lead you when you want to make up your mind what college to go to. How to further your education. 
where is the proper mission field? Where are you supposed to go and plant another work? Where to go and minister in your local community? Who are the neighbors that you're supposed to visit and bring them some wonderful pie? He will speak to you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will come and maybe to some of you he will give you a dream or maybe a vision or maybe a word of knowledge. Or he will put somebody on your heart. Paul wanted to know where to go. We don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped him to go to the other places. But we know that one night he had a vision. And in his vision he saw a man from Macedonia. That's very close to where we live in Romania. That was telling him, come and help us. For many years, I wanted to go to Latin America. Romania is the only Latin country in Eastern Europe. The other countries around us are Slavic or uh, from the Balkanian area. And we are the only Latin country. And I always had the desire to go to other countries in Latin America. Three years ago, one night, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was in a church in Mexico. And I was in that building on a stage, and I was preaching. And I was praying over the congregation, praying over people. About, it was last November, when we were invited to go for the first time in Mexico in the city of Chihuahua. It sounds exactly like the name of that dog, Chihuahua. <laughs> they even have a picture in their town on a big building of a Chihuahua dog. And we, of course we had to take pictures there. Instagram worth pictures. And then when the pastor, Pastor Hector from Chihuahua, Mexico, from a supernatural church, meaning supernatural church, that's the name of their church, invited us to go to Mexico, it didn't take us a long time to say yes. I was already praying for a year and about eight months before going to Mexico. When we got there, the first day when we got there, some pastors, friends of ours that are on staff in Indiana, the church there, they were going to Mexico also, and they told us, we would like for you to come first. The next day the conference was going to start. We'd like for you to go first to this church. They are building their church building, and um, I would like for you to meet this man, the pastor of this church. He's an older pastor. And what they are doing is very special. There aren't too many churches in Mexico that can say we're building our own building. And they are building now their own church building. So we went there to meet this pastor. And we went around the church property. We met him and his wife. And then he said, would you mind coming into the sanctuary? When I stepped into the sanctuary, I started crying. Because that building was exactly the building that I saw in my dream. The stage was like the stage that I saw in my dream. I told him about the chairs. I told him about different things, details that I saw in my dream that were not there yet. And he was crying. A year and eight months, they had started the work on their church building. The night, that night, a year and eight months before, I had had my dream. That's why it's so important for us to write down our dreams, to write down the date, to have like a dream journal. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young people will have visions. Even on your servants, I'll pour out my spirit, says the Lord, on everyone. And the Lord is going to increase dreams and visions in your church. You have been praying a lot. The prayer level of this church is really high. Join that prayer meeting. Be a part of what God is doing. And God is going to keep on increasing the spirit move among all of us. 
It was a divine appointment. It was a divine connection. It was something so special. And I'm sure that when Paul had a dream, he realized for sure God is calling us to go into that area. And they left. They went there. They stayed there for several days. And on the Sabbath day, he heard that there are some people that meet near a river to pray. So they went to that prayer meeting. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling all of us to go to the prayer meeting. As we go and as we gather together, the Holy Spirit will open our hearts. And he will speak to us. There was a woman there by the name of Lydia. And it says that the Holy Spirit opened her heart. The Lord moved on her. And all of a sudden, she understood things that she had not known before. As she heard Paul preaching. Her heart opened, her spirit opened. And there is always more for us in God. And with everything new that we learn from Him, there is going to come an increase in our own lives. But at the same time, her whole family got blessed. She went to a prayer meeting and her family got blessed. That one day she got saved, she was born again, baptized in water, her and her whole house believed in the Lord. And they kept on going to those prayer meetings. They kept on ministering to those people. And one day as they went to that prayer meeting, there was a woman that came and kept on saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. They are preaching the gospel. And if you just listen to what she had to say, you'll say, well, she was prophesying, I guess. Because what she had to say was the real deal. There was no lie in what she had to say. But she was distracting people from Paul to her. She was taking the attention from Paul to her. What we hear in the word of God is that 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 woman had a spirit of divination on her life. She was involved in witchcraft. And by saying those things about Paul and everybody knew they were true, she knew that she was going to still keep on having customers. Because people could tell, yes, she's speaking the truth even about these people. So they would still go on to her to hear something related to witchcraft and nothing about the Spirit of God. So Paul one day is like, this has to end. He turns around and he rebukes the devil and he says that woman free. And yes, the Lord is going to bring freedom and deliverance to people that have been bound for many, many years. The time is coming for some of us to turn around and say, be gone in the name of Jesus. We need to tell ourselves about some of those things. Depression be gone in the name of Jesus. Rejection be gone in the name of Jesus. You have been attacking me for too long. You have been harassing me for too long. You see somebody sick, tell them be gone in the name of Jesus. We have a good friend in New Hampshire. He's uh, one of the associate pastors, and his wife is from Haiti. And she says, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. We need to start rebuking some things in the spirit, and not just accept them as reality in our lives. We need to change reality, because the word of God says something else about how things should be. And then, her masters got really upset. Because they are not going to be able to make money out of her anymore. The Bible teaches us that they took Paul and Silas and they brought them before authorities. And um, these people, the judges, the magistrates, they took off Paul and Silas' clothes and they commanded. It says this. That the multitude rose up together against them. They tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. 
Imagine this, what happens? The Jewish people, they had a tradition, the law, to beat people just about 40 stripes except for one, like 39 times. But the Romans had no law like that. They would beat somebody until that person looked like they had died. So imagine that they had no clothes on them and they were beaten until their blood covered their body. They were in pain like none of us probably can imagine. Uh, they were left like dead people. And then they were grabbed and brought before a jailer and thrown basically on the ground. And the jailer, he's seen that many times. His prisoners came into that prison probably many times looking like that. Nobody could tell what these people looked like. Blood covered their faces. Dirt covered their faces. He took them, put them somewhere in an inner cell, a disgusting place, and put their feet in shackles. And some historians are telling us they, their position was kind of bent over, and their head was even put in something that looked made of wood that was used for torture. The jailer probably didn't even notice who these people were. He didn't know their story. They never went through the whole trial. Romans were supposed to, according to their law, to have a trial before somebody was accused. They didn't listen to that law. They basically just listened to what those people had to say and didn't care about who Paul and Silas were. At midnight, probably by the time when they came into their senses, that was probably the time when they awakened from the sleep of pain. All of a sudden, these people that were covered in blood and dirt, they start singing. They start worshiping God. The image is a very powerful image. How can you praise God when everything around you looks like a mess? Like a position, like this mountain, a prison, a cell, shackles. No hope almost for life. And they were singing. And their voice was heard by every person that was in that prison. Our praise and worship is powerful, church. Our community, when we sing, the atmosphere of our, our town changes when we sing praises to the Lord. When we come to church and we sing, it's not just over this building that the sound is heard. Our sound goes in the heavenly realm. Our sound changes the atmosphere of our town. It's a powerful sound that makes prisons doors open. All of a sudden there is an earthquake. There is a major earthquake. It's a powerful thing that happened in the middle of the night. And all of the doors open wide. It's a miracle. Their shackles fall to the ground. The power of God is there. The glory of God comes into a prison. The glory of God can come in any place. In the city hall. On the streets. In any place in our houses. The glory of God is there for us. As we sing, as we pray, as we worship God. And then... The jailer realizes he's thinking, awakened from his sleep. These people have left. What was waiting for him was going to be an, a horrible death. So what does he do? Immediately he thinks of taking his life. How could Paul know that? He couldn't see the jailer. 
with his eyes, but he knew in the spirit that that man is trying to commit suicide. Now think about this. That man didn't care about Paul and Silas. That man put their feet in shackles. That man probably was a rough man. He was a hard man. But Paul loved that man. And when he realized that that man, I mean, think about the love that Paul had for people. In the middle of his physical pain, he's thinking of somebody else. In the middle of his evil circumstances, he's thinking of what he can do for somebody else, for another human being, even his own enemy. He think of what can I do to help, to rescue, to love that person. He's thinking that man cannot do this, not under my watch. And you need to say the same thing, not under my own watch. I am responsible. I love, I care. Jesus said, love your enemies. If you love those that love you, how is that any different than the people in the world? Love those that despise you, they hate you, they say bad things about you, bless them, pray for them. Wish them that everything good and beautiful can happen to them. And Paul showed love. In the middle, in that moment he says, do not harm yourself, we are all here. Without having time to preach the gospel. Without having the time to share about Jesus. But that love that is above anything that that jailer had ever met before. It was a divine love. Of somebody that knew, that had a word of knowledge, that knew by the Spirit of God what that man was trying to do. In that moment, God invaded that prison and God invaded that man's life. And he was aware of God, of the presence of God, and this is different. And that man says, at that very moment, what can I do to be saved? When people are shown love, they will say, what can I do to be saved? When people are shown mercy, they will say, what can I do to be saved? He didn't have the time to hear a gospel message, but something won his heart. It was the Holy Spirit working in his heart that very moment. And that man, it says, that he brought them out and said, Sirs, the love, the respect, what must I do to be saved? So they said, now they preach the gospel. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Not just to him. It's not just about one person. It's about that person's house, that person's family, their relatives. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. The man that didn't even probably look at their faces. The man that was a rough man. The man that put their feet in shackles. That man, the jailer, they were one of some of the roughest people at the time. That man, he goes down on his knees. And he goes and he starts washing the feet that he had put in shackles. He takes away the blood. He washes the stripes on their back. He ministers to them love. The love of Christ that changes all of us. The love of Christ that never leaves us the same. That love came into his life. The first thing that that man did after he met the Lord, he wanted to minister love. He wanted 
to wash somebody's stripes. He wanted to take the pain from somebody's back. That's what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. May we never lose sight of that first love. May we never forget how much love he's shown us. May we always grow in his love. May we be a church that loves our community and the people around us, the roughest of the bunch, and love them and care for them. And that night, that man and his whole house, everybody in his family, they got baptized in water by Apostle Paul and Apostle Silas. Think about that. Think about how God can change the worst of situations and bring breakthrough into a whole family from a rich woman by the name of Lydia to a rough man, a jailer, and we don't know his own name. But in heaven one day we'll know him. And we'll be able to say thank you for washing Paul's back. And washing their stripes. What a beautiful message. We can find there. About a whole household. Go without fear. And minister to them. No matter how rough they are. No matter how they look today. God is going to change them all. Amen. Amen. We're tag teaming tonight. Uh, when we went to Mexico the first time last year, God joined our hearts so much with the people from there. They took up um, an offering at the conference, and the way that they did it was they had a, a lot of flags, and they had people come up in the front and line up facing each other, holding the flags, and then everyone who was giving would come up through the middle of the flags and give their offering. They called me up and asked me to hold the Mexico flag. And when they handed me the Mexico flag, I started having the scripture go through my mind. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I will go also. I just kept thinking that over and over again for the rest of the service. At the very end of the service, this was at the end of the conference, we were all exhausted. But the Holy Spirit really came upon me. And I went over and grabbed the pastor and one of his leaders around their necks. And we stood there like this. And I was laughing in the spirit. They were both sobbing. But we stood like that, I don't know for how long, maybe 15 minutes. And then I said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And when I said that to them, they started weeping very loudly and it was like a wave of the presence of the Lord came over us and all three of us fell to the ground under the Holy Spirit's power. Miha said to our friends who are with us from Colorado, who are sitting on the front row, we're going to be here at least one more hour. <laughs> we were, uh, I, one of the men who was sitting there said that he had never felt the power of God like that. The power of God was so strongly on us. But he told me afterwards, he said, the reason why I started sobbing even louder when you said that was because the whole time that we were standing there, the only thing that I could think the whole time is, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And he added to that, and if I have food on my table, you will have food on your table. There's something so supernatural that God did in uniting our hearts with the, the people in, in Mexico. When we left, it, it took us about two weeks to recover from being there. Not just the two of us, but others who were on our team. It was like we left part of our hearts there. So we've been waiting all year to, to go back there now. Uh, something else that happened that was unusual. The, the church... 
before we, we went there, about a year before, they had 120 people in their church. The pastor from there went to our home church in Indiana, and when he saw the way that they do things there, he went back home and he changed everything in his church. He changed all his leaders. He said, we want to have leaders who aren't just leaders, but leaders who have pastoral hearts, who want to take care of the people. So they made a lot of changes. Within one year before we went there, their church had grown to 300 people. And after we were there, uh, the church then grew to 500 people, and they have a, a new building that God supernaturally brought them to that they're leasing for now. Uh, but it's just a lot of things that God was doing. But on Saturday evening, we were both uh, in our hotel room, and I had a dream that night. In my dream, there was like a gypsy caravan. We have gypsies in Romania, some. And it was going around by the, the house that I was in. It was like it was our house. And there was this gypsy woman, and I knew that she was a witch who was trying to send cats into the house. And they were coming in through the windows and through the door. And my cat and Miha were there. We, ha we have a little cat at home. Her name's Maya. And our cat was very disturbed by the other cats. And so me, together with my cat, we kept pushing out all of these other cats from the house. The same night, Miha had a dream that involved three ladies that we knew from Romania who were all involved in witchcraft. So we shared that story with the dreams with the pastor, and he asked us, please share that in front of the church. So we shared our dreams in front of the church, and he told us, we have had a lady who's a witch coming to our church. We didn't know that in the natural, but the Holy Spirit just revealed it. And when they did the altar call, the Holy Spirit showed to my wife exactly who the woman was who was the witch. God does things like that just to save and protect churches. It's a gift of discerning of spirits to reveal things, to expose things. But it's just for the betterment of the church, to make sure that the church is a safe place, is a covered place, is a protected place. We don't want those curses coming into the house, which is the church. We want to keep them out. We want to keep out every demonic spirit, keep out every Jezebel spirit, and we want to keep in the presence of God. That's what our responsibility as pastors is. Amen? Well, you, we are just so happy to have pastors Jerry and Elaine here, and we love them so much. They are, and I, I'm, I don't say this, well, I don't say this anywhere I go. They are some of the best pastors I know anywhere in the world. They are just wonderful, wonderful pastors, and we so appreciate them. Let's open up in Acts chapter 10. I shared from here on Sunday, but on Sunday I shared from the perspective more of Cornelius. Tonight I want to share more from the perspective of Peter. What went on with Peter? A literature teacher would tell you, if you want to know who the protagonist of the story is, they are the one who goes through the story arc and experiences transformation. In the story of Cornelius' house, Peter is the protagonist. He is the one who goes through change. He is the one who goes through transformation. And we can see uh, in, in Acts chapter 10, I'll start reading from verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew up uh, into the city, Peter went on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were made ready, he fell into a trance, or he had a, a vision. And he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth." Inside there was all manners of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again, second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. 
This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. In verse 17, it says, Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision uh, within uh, what it what he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, who is surnamed Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Arise, therefore, and go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them to you. Amen. So Peter has this vision with a sheet or some translations say a tablecloth coming down out of heaven and it's full of all kinds of unclean animals, birds, reptiles. He hears the voice of God calling to him saying, arise, kill and eat. But he says, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean my whole life. But then the Lord spoke to him and said, What I have called clean, you should not call unclean or common. And I I mentioned on Sunday morning how it's not talking just about food. It's talking about people. Because when Peter arrives in Cornelius' house, one of the first things he said is, God showed me that I shouldn't call any person unclean. Jesus would touch the unclean and make them clean. Jesus would touch the leper and make the leper clean. Jesus would touch the woman with the issue of blood and he would make her clean. Instead of being overcome by their uncleanness, he would make them clean. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus shares important information with his disciples. Because some of the Pharisees saw that his disciples were eating with unclean hands, that they didn't wash their hands. And they came and they asked Jesus about it. And Jesus says to them, basically, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Because all of the issues of life, they come from the heart. And it says there in Mark 7, Thus, Jesus proclaimed that all foods were clean. It's, it's about heart issue. Jesus said food, things that you consume, they go into you and then they, they go out of you. But it's, it's things that come from the heart. God's looking at the heart. That's really what's important. It's not the externals. If you clean the inside of the cup, then the outside will be clean also. Grace is focused on the inside of the cup. Not the outward fruit, not the outward manifestations, but what is at the root, what is inside, what is in the heart. God wants to change hearts. God wants to transform hearts. He wants to change people from the inside out. That is the working of His grace. But here, God speaks to Peter and says to him, what I've called clean, you should not call unclean or common. For Peter to step in to what God was getting ready to do. For the next step of revival, God had to first deal with some things in Peter's heart. Things that he had towards people. Like, remember when Jesus sent his disciples into Samaria to get some food. And he stayed out at the well. And he talked with the woman at the well. He talked to her about living water. He talked to her about things that were going on in her life and spoke prophetically, revealing everything that she had ever done, the secrets of her heart. When the disciples returned to Jesus, they said to him that he should eat something, but Jesus said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. They didn't understand. What's he talking about? Did somebody else bring him food when we were gone? But then Jesus said, You say four months and then the harvest. But I tell you, lift up your eyes and look around you. The fields, they are ripe for harvest now. What he was saying is you are so focused on food and what you are eating, but you are not concerned about the people who are here. Jesus would go and he would bring faith to this whole village of the Samaritans. 
Because where the disciples just saw food, where the disciples just saw their own needs being met, Jesus saw harvest. Jesus saw the people who were there. When James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, that's what Jesus had nicknamed them, and that was not by accident that he nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Once when... The Samaritans didn't want to allow them to come into their town. They said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The Great Commission was preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The Lord had to first deal with racist discriminatory issues that were in the disciples' hearts towards the Samaritans. He needed to bring some reconciliation first. Do you know who were the two men who went and preached the gospel in village after village of the Samaritans? It was Peter and it was John. God changed their hearts towards those people so that the Great Commission could continue to be fulfilled. But here, God was getting ready to send Peter to the Romans, to the greatest controlling nation in the earth during that time, to the nation that had really controlled Peter's own people. The Jewish people had been like almost in captivity underneath them, under their control, under their authority. There's a lot of things that God had to deal with in Peter's heart towards them. Like, remember when God sent Elijah, the prophet, to Zarephath. Because he said, I have commanded a widow woman there concerning you. And Elijah, for the rest of the famine, he would stay in the house of this widow woman and her son. God was teaching the prophet to be a one who would take care of the widow and of the orphan. Zarephath was the very same area that Jezebel had come from. There was many widow women in the time of Elijah in Israel. But God didn't send Elijah to any of them. He sent them, he sent him to the place of one of their greatest enemies. People that they hated. Jezebel. Really Elijah's greatest enemy. She was from there and that's where God sent him to expose what was in him, to deal with things in his heart, to see, can you be like a father to even those people? Can you show my love to those people? Those people that you hated, those people that you despised before. God wants to change our hearts for the people that we minister to. If you don't love somebody, you don't have any right to be ministering to them. If you don't love somebody, you have no right to be prophesying to that person. Because if you try prophesying to somebody who you don't love, it can come through in a wrong spirit. We must minister with the love of God and allow God to touch and to change our hearts for the people that He is sending us to. That where others would just see their own needs, when others would would just see their own day-to-day things that they want being met, that we would lift up our eyes and we would see harvest. We would see people with the same eyes that Jesus saw people with, with eyes of love. May our prayer be, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart, O Lord. Then it says that Peter, while he was thinking about that vision, that the Spirit said to him, you can see that phrase repeated over and over again in the book of Acts. The Spirit said, the Spirit said. The book of Acts is where the Holy Spirit was speaking. We must learn to honor the Holy Spirit. When you wake up in the morning, you say, good morning, Holy Spirit. 
that you would be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says that as many as are the sons of God are led by Holy Spirit. I, I don't even like to say the Holy Spirit. I just like to say Holy Spirit. They are led by Holy Spirit. Because He is not an it. He is not a force. He is the person of the Godhead. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, I want to have a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I love you. The Holy Spirit, He is in us. He is guiding us. He is leading us. Holy Spirit, speak. The Holy Spirit said, Behold, there are three men looking for you. Arise, therefore, go down. Go with them, doubting nothing. Let's say together, doubting nothing. Go with them, doubting nothing. I think back to the story of when Jesus fed the multitude. They wanted to take him by force and make him king. Jesus sent his disciples in the boat. It actually says there he used like physical force to get them to go in the boat. They did not want to go in that boat. They liked the idea of Jesus being king. They're like, yeah, Jesus is king. We like that idea. But Jesus made them get in the boat and go out on the sea. And he, in the meantime, went up on the mountaintop by himself. There's another time when Jesus went up on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration where his face began to shine brighter than the sun. His clothes were made brighter than anything white and the cloud came down. The voice spoke. It was an amazing experience that he had on the mountaintop then. What experience did Jesus have on the mountaintop that night while his disciples were down on the sea? We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. But it must have been a very special time that he had with the Father on the mountaintop. Because then even though there was a storm over the sea, there's wind, there's wave, but Jesus comes down and he begins to walk out over the sea. The disciples, when they see him in the distance, they thought at first he was a ghost. And they scream in fear and terror. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. It is I. Actually, what it says in the original is, don't be afraid, I am. Like God said to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus was declaring his divinity. He said, don't be afraid, I am. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out on the water. And Jesus said to him, just one word, Come. Why were the disciples out on the water? Because Jesus made them go out on the water. Did Jesus know that a storm was coming? Why did Jesus send them out in the middle of the storm? Because for Jesus, it was a priority to teach them faith. To have a community of faith of believing people. He was teaching them lessons about faith in the middle of that storm. Peter, with one word, come. He steps out of the boat and begins to walk on water out to where Jesus was. But then he starts looking around at the wind and the waves and he begins to sink and he cries out and he says, Lord, save me. And the Lord was nearby and he grabbed him by the hand and he pulled him up. And they got back into the boat together. Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Now we're all thinking, you of little faith. Peter was just out walking on the water with Jesus. But he was teaching him, don't look at the wind. Don't look at the waves. Don't be distracted. Don't get your eyes off of me. Don't let go of your faith. Think back even a little further. Jesus one day was walking by the seaside and he saw some fishermen, Peter and Andrew. And he calls to them. They were out in their boat and he said, come, follow me 
and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. They left their job, their only way of having income. They left everything behind to follow Jesus with just one word. Just that one word that Jesus spoke to Peter to step out and walk on water. He said, come. Just one word that Jesus spoke to Peter when he first called him. He said to him, come, follow me. Just that one word, it was enough for him to step out in faith. But now, the Lord was saying to Peter, arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing. Just that one word was enough for Peter to step out, to follow the words of the Lord, doubting nothing. I tried to think what was going through Peter's mind when he went into the house of Cornelius. He had never been in the house of a Gentile before. He had never been in the house of a Roman before. He'd never been in the house of anyone who wasn't a Jew before. They weren't allowed to go in there because the food wasn't kosher and they would be made ceremonially unclean. He had never sat down to eat with them at a table. When he walked into his house, was he like, oh, I sense a demonic atmosphere here. Like, did Cornelius by any chance have any idols hiding in the corner? Because he was Roman. I doubt that he had time to cleanse his whole house before Peter showed up there. Probably a lot of those people had been involved in witchcraft before. What was it like when Peter sat down at the table for the first time and tasted pork? When he started eating seafood, what was that like? What was going through his mind? What was he thinking like, was this food sacrificed to idols before? Because they hadn't worked through that theologically yet as a church. But God spoke to him and said, go with them doubting nothing. God does not want us to be superstitious or full of fear. Go with them doubting nothing. When God calls you into something, you can enter into that without doubt, without fear, without anxiety. Go into it without doubting. Go with faith in your heart. If you have faith in your heart, you can walk into what God is calling you to enter into. This was a great shift. It was a great change. It was something new coming to the church in Cornelius house. Whenever God is calling us into new things, into change, into transition, it's going to take a lot of faith filling our hearts. And he is saying to us, go, arise, doubting nothing. What is it that you are called to do in your life? What has God spoken to you? What are the prophetic words that have been uttered over your life to enter into those things? Doubt nothing. Give no room to fear or unbelief. Just walk in faith to enter into those things. What what is it that maybe is a new thing that you're getting ready to do that you've never done before? Doubt nothing. Because God will be with you in the midst of it. Then it says, as after Peter preached to them the gospel... It says down in verse uh, 45 that the circumcision which believed were astonished as many came with Peter because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. Then answered Peter in verse 47, Can any man forbid water? seeing that that they should be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it says, can anyone forbid water? When Peter would later on recall this story, he he would say in Acts chapter 11, in verse 17, 
For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? The word that he used in in the original language in Greek when it says, can we forbid water? It's the same word that is used here. Who was I that I could withstand God or that I could get in God's way? from what God was doing. As leaders, some of the times the smartest thing we can do when God comes and is moving in our midst is just to get out of the way and let God be God. Let the Holy Spirit move with power. Let the Holy Spirit move with anointing. Who is I that I could forbid God? Or who is I that I could stop God? So it it says in... Psalm chapter 78, that they did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. They tested God again and again, and they provoked or they limited the Holy One of Israel. What it's saying there is because of their unbelief, they limited God. Like Jesus, it says when he was in Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. What he did there was was limited. The the Jewish people in the, the time of Moses, it says that they also limited God by not believing, by not having faith. God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But we don't want him to be a lion without teeth, without claws. He is a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember in the story of when David was anointed king over Israel and over Judah, over the whole nation. The Philistines came to fight against David because of the new anointing he received in his life and sometimes when there comes a new anointing in our lives the enemy comes to try to attack us to try to fight against us but it says that David inquired of the Lord and the Lord told him go and fight directly against them but then the Philistines came a second time and he again inquired of the Lord and the Lord said to him, don't go directly, but wait till you hear the sound of the wind in the poplar tree and go back around to fight against them. So that's what he did and he saw victory both times against the Philistines and he named that place, Bel Perizim, the Lord of breaking through. But it says in in. In in Isaiah, excuse me, in Isaiah, verse chapter twenty-eight, verse twenty-one, the Lord will fight as He did at Mount Perizim, and in the valley of Gibeon, in order to do what He intends to do. Strange as His actions may seem, He will complete His work, His mysterious work. What Isaiah said here is just as God fought then at Perizim, the place of breakthrough, God is going to fight again for his people. He is the Lord of breakthrough, and he is fighting your battle for you. What Peter said is, can we forbid water that they would be baptized? And then he said, who was I? that I could forbid God or that I could get in God's way when God was doing this special thing, when God was doing this new thing. In the book of Acts, there was different walls that they had to break through to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. One of those walls was to bring the gospel to the continent of Africa. And that happened in Acts chapter 8 when Philip shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. The gospel was brought for the first time to Africa. And there are still believers in Africa today because of that man. Then again, the story my wife was sharing from Acts 16, when the gospel went to Europe for the first time through Macedonia. This was, again, Barriers being broken for the Great Commission to be fulfilled. 
here in Cornelius' house, it was maybe the greatest wall and the greatest barrier of them all between the Jewish people and all of the other nations of the earth. No wall can stand before the gospel. No wall can stand before the Lord of breaking through. He breaks through time and time again. The gospel cannot be chained. It breaks off those chains. If you try to put the gospel in a prison, it will cause the, the windows and the doors to be open and the chains to fall off of all the prisoners. The gospel cannot be hindered. The gospel cannot be stopped. The word of God keeps going forward and taking new ground all of the time by the power of the Holy Spirit. Immediately after what happened in Cornelius's house, we see that there were some very brave believers who went to a city. And it's amazing. You can read it. It happens immediately after this in Acts chapter 11. They go to a city called Antioch. And when they arrive there, they start preaching the gospel, not only to the Jews, but they start preaching also to the Greeks. This was so controversial that actually half of the old documents say they preached to the Hellenists, who were actually Greek-speaking Jews. And half of the old documents say that they were preaching to the Greeks. But already in Jerusalem, they had been preaching for a long time to the Hellenists, to the Greek-speaking Jews. You can see that in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. But it's just, it was so controversial that people didn't want to leave it that they were preaching to Greeks also. But they were preaching to Greeks. Because in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Because the gospel breaks down every wall, every limitation, every hindrance, even that are in the hearts of people. It is broken down before the gospel. And so here... They preached to the Greeks, and it says that the Lord was with them, and a great number of them became believers in Jesus. Actually, historians tell us that there was walls that divided up the city of Antioch into four different zones. They literally went across the wall to bring the gospel to those who had never heard it before, to preach the gospel to people from other nations. And it was from Antioch that Paul and Barnabas would be sent out to the nations of the earth to begin their missionary endeavors. They were backed by the church in Antioch, a church that was made up with people of diverse backgrounds, of diverse cultures, of diverse colors a church that was together in unity and love, a church that brought the gospel to the people of the ends of the earth, that fulfilled the great commission in their generation to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They had the heart for the ends of the earth people. People of God, may I encourage you tonight, allow the gospel to break through every wall that stands in front of you even in the lives of people that you share it with allow the love of God to come and to melt hearts and to bring change to bring transformation the gospel knows no boundaries it breaks through and it takes new ground all of the time God wants to change our hearts to bring transformation on the inside of us to prepare Prepare us for the harvest that he is getting ready to bring us into. Because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. But the Lord is rising up workers to go out. Workers that are prepared and workers that have the hearts that are ready to bring in the harvest for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let's just give God praise here tonight. Let's all stand up together. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord wherever we're standing right now. Miha, can you come up and join me?
Lord, our hands are lifted to you. We just want to receive from you everything you have for us. Here tonight, the Lord is touching our hearts. He's changing our hearts. He's bringing transformation on the inside of us. Because in the next wave of revival, in the next season of harvest that God wants to bring us into, our hearts must be prepared. Our hearts must be changed. He wants to take from us every mentality of us and them. Who is the real neighbor? The one who showed compassion. One who shows love. That's the real neighbor. Lord, change our hearts and give us a love for the people that you have called us to minister to. For the broken, for the destitute, for the hurting, for the dying. For those who, maybe if we just look in the natural, we'd say they're different than us. It doesn't matter if you've called us to minister to them. Just as you changed the hearts of your disciples to be able to reach the lost, to be able to fulfill the Great Commission, change our hearts that we can fulfill the Great Commission in our generation, that we can be people out working in the fields, working out in the harvest. Put a fresh fire in our hearts here tonight, Lord, to enter into the harvest field that you're calling us into. I just see the Lord tonight. He's melting our hearts. He's putting in us true mercy, true compassion, true love for people.